Welcome to C3 Belconnen. We hope you enjoy our latest Sunday message. Welcome to our Good Friday experience. Wherever you are right now, we hope this is a really powerful and meaningful time for you. This makes a really special day for many as we reflect on the sacrifice that it represents. And maybe it seems a long time ago for you, but I tell you it's real and it's very personal right to this day. It's not a distant historical event. It's actually part of the rich tapestry of God's plan for mankind, beginning long ago and carrying through to eternity. So today we remember, we look back, But we can go even further back, not just to that day, but to the words of a prophet, Isaiah, writing hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. He writes of a suffering servant who would come and change history for us, change it for you and for me. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins, but he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us have strayed away like sheep. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sin of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. From prison and trial, they led him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins, that he was suffering for their punishment? But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and fill him with grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have a multitude of children, many heirs. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's plan will prosper in his hands. How about we pray as we get started? Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you that we can pause and reflect and remember. Be reminded of what this means for us, that you gave your life, that although set before you, was a time of pain and anguish and difficulty. You didn't shy away from that. You went to the cross for us, and we are so thankful and so grateful. Amen. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Today we want to take a journey through the last days and hours of Jesus' life. As we begin the journey, I really encourage you to focus on what it means for the eternal God to become a man. Think about it. what it means that Jesus once walked on this earth. This is not a religious event. This is something so incredibly personal. This is about a God who touched down on earth and walked among us, and that's what makes all the difference. God who created the world stepped into an ordinary human body. And as we move through the story today, Let's take time to meditate on the mystery and the majesty and the humility of Jesus, the Son of God. 
This is very personal. Six days before Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among them, reclining at the table. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not take this, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Mary poured out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet as an act of worship. This act of worship was pure. It was passionate. It was real. It was expensive, or really, it was extravagant. And it touched the heart of Jesus. Jesus knew he was headed to the cross. And Mary's act of worship was a blessing to him. Remember, again, this is an incredibly personal story. Have you ever wondered how you would respond to Jesus in person, in the flesh? What could you offer the one who would take your sin and your shame away? Don't you like to think that you would have responded in this sort of way to Jesus? What a contrast then from this point to the next step in the journey is one of Jesus' closest friends agrees to betray him. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I can't imagine a greater contrast. And most of us straight away want to identify with the first story and not the second. Surely in this position, we would have been more like Mary, not Judas. I mean, Judas was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of the 12 disciples who had been with him for three years. And he agreed to betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. How could he betray Jesus, his friend, for money? How do you think Judas felt later when he looked at the coins in his hands and realized what he traded them for? It seems so dramatic when told like this. But really the questions run through to us to this very day. What comes first in our lives? What gets our attention? What motivates or, or drives us and at what cost? Just about all of us are guilty at times of doing what Judas did. We're tempted to trade the eternal for the temporary. But really the simple question is, what do we place first? Now the scene changes and we move to find ourselves in an upper room at a table, an intimate gathering. After he had said this, 
Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked him, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? It is the one who I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it into the dish. And dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Here Jesus is celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples. He knew they'd soon face confusion and fear that what he was doing, he was doing for them, even though they didn't understand it at the time. Other versions of this meal focus more on what we often call communion. And maybe at the end of this time, as we read the scripture together, you might be taking that either on your own or with others in your home and you can take a moment in remembrance and thank for, for what Jesus has done for us. And so as we read this next passage of Scripture, it's a, a description of what it is that we're doing as we share in that moment, reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You might have symbols of that ready already uh, to take the bread, symbolic of Jesus' body broken for you, and... Uh, some sort of juice, something to sip on that is symbolic of his blood shed for you and I, these elements of communion that Jesus instituted right there in that very day. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. 
Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This scene reveals to us the sorrow in Jesus' heart that night. He prayed to his father that he would not have to go to the cross if there was any other way. Yet he prayed the hardest prayer also that any of us can pray. Not as I will, but as you will. His steps are now taking him directly into the hands of the authorities, his accusers. And the gap just seems to grow and grow here between him and his disciples. We read of them falling asleep while Jesus walks on alone and prays the hardest prayer anyone has ever prayed. And hardly seems fair. Don't you just want to wake up the disciples, chastise them for napping when Jesus was about to do all this for them? The problem is they didn't realize it. They just didn't get it. I guess there we are, again, right in the middle of the story. Whether this is your first time hearing this story or whether you're very familiar with it, we all face the prospect of missing, oftentimes, what is right in front of us. So easy for us to be captivated with what we want, what we feel, what we experience, and just fail to see what God is doing around us. Can you imagine, well, they must have thought later, when they realized what Jesus had been going through and they had fallen asleep. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew this place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guarding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen, went out to them and asked, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. And Judas, the traitor, was there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Even though Jesus could have given the word and overpowered the guards, he allowed himself to be bound and led away. 
I'm sure by now there is a dread creeping over the disciples as they remember some of the strange things Jesus had said, these allusions to what was to come. Surely this is not what's in play right now. Jesus, when are you going to reveal yourself to people? When are you going to show your strength and set things right? This just all seems so wrong. I don't know where some people get the idea of Jesus being gentle, meek, mild, or even weak. This is a demonstration of the ultimate strength, knowing that you have the ability and yet choosing not to use it. And so now Jesus' mind is made up and his steps are resolute. And so begins this exhausting journey from one court to another, accused and beaten, mocked and laughed at. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus in the, to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and sat it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put his own clothes on. Imagine yourself in Peter's shoes now. You're looking out over the courtyard while Jesus is being tried and mocked and you see him being unjustly accused. As you stand there, you see men telling lies about him. You watch him being beaten, mocked, threatened. Here's a man you've been following for years now, the one you put all your hope in. He's being sentenced to death. In your heart, you believe that he is God, the Messiah, the promised one of the Jewish people. And yet your whole world is crashing around you. And worst of all, you've denied that you even know him. It's funny, fear causes us to do all sorts of unexpected things. Perhaps it reveals our true motives or character. Or maybe more so, it reveals the brokenness of our humanity. And like Peter, scared, ashamed, and confused, we can all find ourselves like that at some time or another. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, 
shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. You trust in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Can you imagine what it must have been like? Take a moment and just really try. Here is Jesus dying a brutal death on a Roman cross, which is an instrument of torture. At the foot of the cross are people accusing him, some laughing, others weeping, scared and alone. And his disciples, horrified, confused, ashamed and fearful. I can't help but want to hate the soldiers, the priests, those responsible I think of what they've done to Jesus, how they've crucified him out of anger and fear and jealousy. The religious leaders falsely accused him because he threatened their power and control. They hated him not for who he was, but because of who they were. And yet amongst it all, Jesus remains silent, save to comfort loved ones and provide hope for a dying criminal. Why doesn't he use his power, his strength, his might well, maybe he does. I remember Jesus let them. He had to. In fact, he, he wanted to. Why? I remember if he did not, I wouldn't have hope. The sin of all human beings made Jesus go to the cross, not just the soldiers who arrested and beat him. His love for sinful human beings held him there. He could have answered the taunts by calling down heaven's armies, but he didn't. He chose to stay. Makes me think of the things that I've done. And I remember Jesus carried my sins and everyone's on that cross. Can you imagine standing there with this knowledge? Watching Jesus go through this and knowing ultimately that it was for you. Could you do it? From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elohi, Elohi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake 
and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. When Jesus died that day, so many people watching must have thought that their hopes had died as well. And darkness came over the land in that moment. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it would be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, and the other Mary who were sitting with there opposite the tomb. I can only imagine how they must have been feeling, so lost and confused. The air in front of them is an immovable object. It's cold, it's hard, and it's final. I bet each and every one of us, at home or elsewhere, has had a moment when all hope has seemed lost. The events of Good Friday can seem to be about hope lost. And it's so easy to look at things that way. But it's only part of the story. As we head towards Easter Sunday, we'll talk about the hope that awaits. The good news is that you actually don't have to wait that long. Because Jesus went to the cross for you, everything that we have just heard was for you. You see, the final prayer Jesus prayed from the cross echoes through history to you and I this very day. Father, forgive them. You and I are right in the middle of this story. We are right at its center. And not because we're hopeless, because this was for us, because it is so personal. Maybe you feel weighed down by the burden of life, by the events that are surrounding you, the heaviness of knowing that maybe you've lived in a way that's not God's best. Maybe like all of us, you need to experience God's forgiveness and to know what it means to be truly set free. Maybe in your home, you're going to have a moment where you take communion, either on your own or share with others in a little while, taking that bread or something similar that represents Jesus' body broken for us or that juice that represents his blood shed for us. And while all of this brings it into sharp relief, while we can feel the significance of this moment, we remember today, we don't have to be weighed down by our sins. We do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that set us free and ultimately unites us all. Remember that as you take communion a little bit later on. And if this is an unfamiliar thing for you, we'd love you to join us in our Easter celebration services on Sunday or reach out and we can tell you a little bit more about this incredible story and this journey. But what we'd love to do now is just to pray for you as we finish up and I guess wait in excited anticipation for all that we can celebrate uh, on Easter Sunday as we remember Jesus' resurrection and the brand new life that that has brought to us. So how about we just get ready and close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for everybody who's been a part of this journey. The beauty of reading scripture that is the story of who you are and what you have done for us, Lord. And thank you that in doing that together, we're reminded of how personal this was. 
of how personal it still is. And Lord, I'm praying that as each and every one of us reflects in our own way on what it is that you have done for us, that Holy Spirit, you bring fresh hope and fresh life into us, that your peace would rest on every person and we would have hope and freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our latest Sunday message. If you would like to find out more about our church, visit www.c3belconnen.org.au.